and he was hired. The man was really excited and went into the forest for work. And in one single day, he cut down 18 trees. Good job, the foreman said. Keep it up, encouraged by his words. The woodcutter decided to improve on his work the very next day. He went to bed early that night, and the next morning he got up very early before anyone else and went into the forest. He worked very hard, but was only able to cut down 15 trees. The next day, even though he had worked just as many hours, he was able to only cut down seven, then five, and on the fifth day, only two trees. Friday came, and the foreman brought him into the office and told them they were letting him go. But I'm a hard worker, he said. I arrive first, leave last, and have even worked through my breaks. The foreman explained, I'm sorry, your production has dropped dramatically. But I'm such a hard worker. The foreman then asked him, when was the last time you sharpened your axe? Sharpened my axe? I haven't had any time. I was too busy cutting down trees. In Ecclesiastes 10.10 it says this, If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength. But wisdom brings success. Um, today we talk about prayer. If you want to correlate, prayer is sharpening your axe. It's amazing how much effort we put into our Christian walks and not pray. And we see our, quote, productivity dropping. We don't have victory. Uh, and it would seem like we do not correlate that with our level or lack thereof of prayer itself. Turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence for this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Lord Jesus, thank you again for an opening of your word. And uh, thank you so much that uh, simply reading it can change people's lives. But we would pray, Lord, again, that your spirit would do a mighty work this morning. Um, as we go through 1 Timothy, Lord, that we might know how to conduct ourselves in the house of the Lord, but not only have knowledge about it, but that we would actually be those who take action. That as we go through this series, Lord, that we would be a people that would suddenly say, well, maybe I need to do more of this, or maybe I need to do less of this. Lord, it is uh, just facts if we want to learn about how to do church and never really apply it. And so, Lord, we pray that we as a body, as a piece of your local body here, would, uh, it would be far from us to be a people 
that could just tell you how to do church and never actually do it. And so, Lord, we pray that again, uh, you would be honored and glorified. We pray that uh, you would help us in our prayer lives, as uh, that's what we're talking about today. Um, for some reason, again, Lord, prayer seems to be tough to do. And so it is um, such a necessity, such a powerful thing. We pray that you would be extra gracious and merciful and just help us pray. That you would be the one that would uh, press upon us throughout the week to pray. That uh, we thank you uh, for being the one um, that can take our prayers and have them actually make sense to God the Father. And so we thank you for all these things. Be honored and glorified above all. In your name, amen. Prayer is pretty important. And uh, there is, again, a lot here. Um, there is a lot of depth in these eight verses. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to cover, uh, I'll try to cover all eight verses in some way. But trust me, if you want to go back and study it, there's a lot more there. There's a lot more there. But I just wanted to uh, start with a few questions about prayer. Why should we pray? Uh, what type of prayer are we praying? Um, uh, I also have here, um, who should we pray for? What gives us the right to pray? And what's our attitude when we pray? Okay, so that seems like a lot, but I typically don't stay in one spot too long. So, why should we pray? Remember the context. I don't know about you, but uh, I know last week and we were not in 1 Timothy and uh, I have been telling everyone I got beat up at the Bible conference uh, to rejoice always, pray continually, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, is just really hard to do. So um, I would um, be able to understand if just trying to apply those three things this week, if you are spiritually tired. But remember, First Timothy, when we started this thing, Again, we said there in chapter 3, it says we write these things that you might know that how to conduct yourselves in the house of the Lord. And the first thing he's going to address here was sound doctrine and make sure you get the right gospel. And this should be healthy teaching. And if we're not starting with healthy teaching, well, that's really going to mess a lot of things up. And then uh, Greg was sitting there and talked about the charge to Timothy um, that he wage the good warfare in verse 18 having faith and a good conscience, which some, having sh uh, rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. And then we had two uh, people named there, okay? It says, therefore I exhort, first of all. So it is interesting that as this whole letter is building, prayer is one of the first things after this whole doctrinal piece that we're going to get into. And that's interesting when you talk about the house of the Lord, right? Make sure the doctrine's okay, but prayer prayer's coming in next, okay? Prayer's coming in next. Why should we pray? Simply to wage the good warfare. Simply to wage a good warfare. This is coming right on the heels of him saying, I know some have shipwrecked the faith. I know some have walked away from the faith. There's false teaching coming on. And remember all those sins they talked about, how mankind can just go over all these sins. And Paul's saying, and listen, I was the chief. But among all of that, remember to fight the good fight for your faith. And that's why we do this is by prayer. And so the reason I was getting loud, I guess, right now and emphasizing that is I forget myself the power of prayer for doing many things well. If you are simply struggling with sin, it's interesting that we don't pray about it. It's interesting that we try our best to do serve the Lord and, 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 and try to do certain ministries here. 
and maybe throw prayer on as like a tack-in at the end. Okay, the power source is prayer, and that's what he's coming from. So that's why we should pray, that we would be those who wage the good warfare. And again, I, I remind, remind of what Ray was talking about, um, that our soul wars against its own flesh. Okay, it is a battle every single day when we get up, and prayer is the thing that's going to help connect us to the Lord and allow him to work through us. We do this to wage a good warfare. But there's another reason here we would pray. Okay, In verse 2, it says that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We might lead a quiet, peaceful life with all godliness and reverence. That's why we're to pray for these kings who are in authority. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But here's the idea. This saying right here, listen, we should be those who kind of lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now, again, growing up, I read the word quiet and I was like, oh, no. Lord, help me. I really probably was confused sometimes reading verses like this. But I'll tell you what it really means. A quiet and peaceable life is kind of like that calm life where someone is under control. There's not a lot of drama. Not a lot of drama. Guys, I, I, for whatever reason, it seems like this is one of our biggest struggles right now is that almost every household, there's no peace. Everyone is busy or everyone is arguing. Everyone at the end of the day just wants to collapse and go, that was the longest day ever. And nothing major is actually happening. It's just that life, life. Life is just draining us. This is not how our lives should be as believers in the Lord Jesus. We should live quiet, peaceful lives with all godliness and reverence. And the context of this is we want to have that happen. So make sure you pray for kings and authorities because even if you're doing that at your home, if the government gets involved and there's persecution of the church and there's laws that are going into place that actually will cause real chaos, that's going to be a problem. We are still held to the standard of a quiet and peaceful life, but pray for these guys in charge because that's going to even be more difficult if society-wise, if your governing bodies are persecuting the church, then it's going to be real hard to live a quiet and peaceful life. I have to tell you, even though persecution probably is coming and all those things, it seems like we're not that peaceful, and I don't really think we're being persecuted that much yet. So we, we're kind of behind the eight ball of persecutions coming. That we would be a people that would pray that we might have a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That word reverence is interesting. It's only mentioned two other times in the Bible, and one is in this book talking about the qualifications of elders, okay? 1 Timothy 3, 4, it says, uh, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And the idea is this, because again, it's kind of talking about the home, that not only are kids obeying, but it's in a respectful way. You can definitely, for lack of better words, abuse kids. That in your house, you're abusive, uh, you, you, 
you know, take out some kind of crazy implement of, you know, you're going to obey me. And even if the kids are obeying, no one respects it because the kids are terrified and it's not a loving home and really abuse is going on. And that's what's driving the obedience. But the point of this is, hey, that things are well maintained and in the household, things are in control and there's a level of respect across the household. That's what we want so that when people look at the household, they go, okay, but there's respect here. People seem to be obeying each other. People know where they fit into the family. And that would go bigger into all areas of our lives. And so that we are praying that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That not only are we even obeying the Lord, but that even in our own hearts, there's a level of respect for our God. That doesn't go, oh, I have to obey you again. That even if it's tough, we understand and respect and honor the Lord in our obedience. Again, it's hard enough to live this Christian life when things are good. Pray that in these things, the government doesn't come in and then start to really persecute and make things really tough. Enjoy the times we are living in right now. And I know they're getting a little crazy, okay? But I don't think we're there yet. And finally, the third reason we should pray is verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. He likes it. God loves when we pray to Him. I, I, just, I just need to emphasize that again. God loves when you talk to Him. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, we won't go over the whole thing, but uh, the parable of the persistent widow is what they say. Okay, I'm going to read verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And this was a whole, well, let's just read it. Starting in verse 2, saying, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me for my adversary. He would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, And shall not God, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Okay, so here's the, the quick thing here. An unjust guy, a widow constantly saying, hey, I need you, I need you to fix this, I need you. And he's kind of like, oh my goodness, get, get, just, so I don't have to deal with her anymore, Let, let's fix it. And the point of this parable is saying, if that's how an unjust ruler is, our just father, the opposite, how do you think he feels when we pray to him? So don't lose heart in prayer. God is not like this unjust ruler who does not fear God. He is not that kind of guy who goes, oh, let me just deal with their prayers and just so they stop talking to me. That is not God's attitude. Don't lose heart. Pray because when you go before the Lord, he's actually happy. It's good and acceptable for you to pour out your heart to him. He likes it. So we should not be a people that are upset going to him. Now let's talk about the types of prayer. There was four mentioned right here. 
in the first verse. Therefore, I exert, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Giving of thanks, supplications, prayers, and intercessions. All right, let's start with the first one, supplications. And again, you might have different translations. There's four there in the first verse. We're going to go in order. Okay, supplications is simply a, you, you need something. You, have a, you, you want something, you need something. Okay, I'll give you um, this word again in another context. It would be Luke 1, 13. It says, But the angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Here's a couple that could not have children, and Zacharias is praying, and then he gets this. Your prayer has been heard. We've heard your need. We've heard your need. Okay? And Elizabeth is going to have a son. Apostle Paul in Romans 10.1 says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And again, think about the context of this. In this idea, there's a need, but it's not even for Paul himself. It's for Israel. Lord, I, I personally have a need. I, I want to see Israel saved. <laughs> Interesting, right? Do we pray like that? Paul is saying, listen, my need, my need, Lord, I have needs. My need right now, I really want to see Israel saved. I want them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that the Messiah has come. That's what his need really was. Okay? Do we go to the Lord with our needs? This is typically the easiest one. There was a boy who had been sent to his room because he'd been bad. A short time later, he came out and said to his mom, I've been thinking about what I did, and I said a prayer. That's fine, she said. If you ask God to make you obedient, he'll help you. Oh, I didn't ask him to help me be good, replied the boy. I asked him to help you put up with me. Okay? Probably not the best way to look at it. But the idea is we do have needs. And I'm going to shift a little bit of, of what a typical prayer for this should be. Um, we need help to not sin. We need help to not sin. And do we pray about that? Do we sit there and say, Lord, I, I have a need. Every single thing about me wants to do this. And I know I shouldn't. But my goodness, Lord, it feels good. I want to do it. I can't stop thinking about it. I just, I, I want to do it. And I need you to do something. Okay. In the context of these first two prayers, it's more of this is kind of like when people got together publicly talking about needs um, or the next one here um, where it says supplications or prayers. OK, but why am I saying even that right now publicly? I was convicted on this when we were uh, going over in our small group. Um, we had a time of prayer there and we were just talking about Ray's message of quenching the spirit and things like that. And one little piece of what we're talking about was this. Or I, I brought this up to the group, um, being convicted of my own life. There is so many times where I have got together at a Bible study or, or just you have that time of prayer and we ask for prayer requests. And I cannot remember in 40 years of being saved, maybe more than two to three times where someone actually said I need help with a sin. Now, either I'm in an anomaly and I just I'm the only one sinning. Although I don't think I am. Or something is not right. It is interesting 
that we know with the power of prayer that we're not going to share our needs and our wants of I need help with this sin. I would like us, and again, I can't speak, maybe y'all are doing it in your small groups, I have no idea, and I'm not killing my small group, okay? But it's interesting that I don't think corporately we do this a lot. That when there's a time to ask for prayer, we actually ask for help with a specific sin. And I think we should. I think it would be good for us to do that. All right, the second one there is prayers. This is a purposeful prayer, okay? When you're asking for something specific, you're not just kind of going before the Lord and say, hey, what's the needs? Um, we can pray for this, we can pray for this. This is you're kind of coming together with people for a specific purpose, okay? Uh, in James 5.17, this word was used. It says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. You just remember that he got, you know, he was in his prayer time, there was a specific thing he was praying for, Lord, don't let it rain. And the Lord answered that, okay? Um, and this is good for us to go specifically with purpose, either in your own prayer time or when we do it together corporately. That's why I like the list up on the board when we have kind of corporate prayer here. We're, we're going with a purpose. We're going to pray for this family. We're going to pray for uh, the leadership. We're going to pray for this ministry. And that is going into prayer with a specific purpose. Very, very good. I remember um, one of the ones I remember was it's kind of sad, but it was uh, interesting and, and kind of awesome to be a part of the body of Christ when Jack Spender's um, daughter um, had cancer. And we, we all got together to simply pray, Lord, kind of would you spare her life? Um, and just a lot of the assemblies got together, had a prayer meeting for one specific purpose. We were going to pray for Jack Spender's daughter, Bethany. Okay, and those things are good to have happen, to pray for something specific. The third one here, intercessions. Okay, this is kind of praying for someone, but it has to do with closeness with God. Like I said, these first two kind of have the context of when you come together with other people. This one is kind of like just between you and your Savior, and it's intimate. You want to intercede on someone's behalf. You know, I remember um, being part of uh, any kind of camping ministry. Usually there's counselors meetings and things like that in the beginning of the day. Well, there was times where my father was the director of the camp, and so... I'm sitting there in the meeting and, and I have every right to ask for, you know, hey, prayer for this on my cabin or, or when we do the activity tonight, how is this going to work? And, and there's just a meeting with requests going on. Um, and my father's the director, but it's a different context. You know, later on when that meeting is done, if I'm alone with my father and I say, hey, dad, I got this crazy camper. <laughs> um, what should I do here? What should I do there? There is an intimacy that he's going to talk to me differently and I'm going to talk to him differently because it's my father and it's just him and I. And now I'm going to bring to him some of my problems as a counselor. And that's the idea of intercession. When you have an intimate relationship with your God and you're going to go intercede on someone's behalf because you have a personal relationship with your God and you want to go talk to him as your father. That's what this is all about. And then finally, giving of thanks be made for all men. This is simply being grateful. 
simply being grateful. In Colossians 2, 7, it says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Remember, rejoice always in everything. Give thanks, First Thessalonians 5, for this is the will of God. In our prayers, we're to be giving thanks. Giving thanks for circumstances, for people, for our salvation. There's much to give thanks for. Much to give thanks for. There was a commentary. This isn't true, by the way, but um, there was a, a little thing I saw. It said, why did only one cleansed leper return to thank Jesus? Remember, he healed ten and only one came back. It says the following are nine suggestions why the other nine did not come back to say thankful. One waited to see if the cure was actually real. One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided that he had never had leprosy. One said he would have gotten well anyway. One gave the glory to the priests. One said, oh, well, Jesus didn't really do anything. One said, any rabbi could have done it. And one said, I was already improving. Interesting. You know, every time we go before our Savior, there can easily be a lot to complain about. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the Lord with some of that baggage. And we'll talk a little bit about that later, I guess. But there needs to be a practice in our lives of thanksgiving of gratefulness every single time you pray it is only because god himself died on the cross for you that is your only right your only access the only reason you can dare open your lips is because of what he's done and in that we should be grateful giving thanks for all men well who should we be praying for this is not fun to hear. All men. Oh, that kind of covers everyone. All the people you don't like. All the people you like. Everyone. So the idea here, again, like, it's not to say that we're supposed to just stay at our house all day, never go to work, and just pray 8 billion people before the Lord. But the idea is that we are constantly in communication with the Lord about all the people we are interacting with. And to give these four things, sometimes there's need, sometimes there's a deep intercession that we have to go there for. Sometimes we're just grateful for the person. Okay. Sometimes we publicly come for a specific purpose. Hey, this person is going through this. Lord, I want to bring this before you. But this says to all men, not just the believers in the church. To pray for your enemies. This is really tough. This is really painful at times. We're to pray for those in authority. Man, you imagine praying that Biden or Trump <laughs> have a great day that will go well with them. That's interesting. Pray for our governors. Pray for all these people. So what are we talking about in this context? This is the context. I think we've talked about it before. In 64 AD, 
Rome had a huge fire. Fourteen districts were burned. The emperor Nero was in charge. There's a lot of people saying he started the blaze because he wanted to build for himself a palace. And the reason they say that is that as Rome was decimated in 14 districts, burned, I think, over nine days. Instead of taking the money from the treasury to help rebuild that which was burned, he built for himself a golden palace. And then what he did, when the people kind of were in uproar in Rome, said it was the Christians who started the fire. And in this context, I don't know exactly the dates, but this book was written around 64 A.D. So this might have been right before, but there's a very good chance that this has already happened, that Nero is in charge of Rome, and he's blaming the Christians, and he's burning them at the stake. Not only would he burn Christians, he then got even worse than that. And at a festival, would cover them in tar and literally light up the festival with human torches with Christians. And that is who he's... That's who he's talking about when he says, pray for kings and all who are in authority and even give thanks. Now, I don't understand it. You can ask me later what you think I think that means. I have no idea. But I'm going to tell you what the context is. Pray for those in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceful life. Literally put tar over them and torch them and bound them up so that when you went to the party, that was your light. A torched Christian. And he said, you better pray for these guys. You better pray. In about three or four weeks, we're going to have November elections. And I'm telling you, I really, you know, whatever. The point is we should be praying. And so what would I think we should pray about? Number one, here's what I'm convicted on. Pray that they get saved. Okay, don't pray that he, they definitely line up with your political view or blah, blah. Pray that they get saved. <laughs> and the idea of praying for all men is that that's the Lord's heart cry. Okay, that's what he would want. Okay, he wants all people to be saved. So pray that our leaders and authority get saved. Pray that they have biblical wisdom or at least use it. Okay, and then it is okay to pray that our freedoms to have church not be taken away, that we can proclaim the gospel without persecution. If it happens, that's okay. We're to submit to authorities, but it's not like God's saying, hey, you can't talk about it. You can obviously cry out to the Lord, say, Lord, I don't want that stuff coming. Uh, you know, direct these elections, direct, you know, your perfect will be done. I hope they get saved. I hope they get saved. But, and, and again, I, I want to be able to preach freely without persecution. That's okay to pray for those things, even if there comes a time where it doesn't happen like that. What should motivate us to pray? It says this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, our biggest concern of prayer is someone's spiritual state. Someone's spiritual state. So if they're not saved, that's number one. That's number one. 
I've said a hundred times, I don't want more moral people on the earth. I could care less if they're going to hell. I, d I don't care if we morally cling things up on this earth. If they're going to hell, <laughs> I want people saved. That's what we want. Saved people sharing the gospel. Pray that they get saved. Okay, that's what would motivate us. And for ourselves as believers, we pray that we would grow and mature in the faith. So that if someone has a you know huge financial burden, okay, but the idea there is, hey, Lord, how will you use this burden to increase their faith? Not just get some money. Okay? We're worried about people's maturity in the Lord. All this talk about prayer, what gives us the right to pray? There's so much in these verses. Verse 5. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. A mediator. A mediator is simply the go-between. Okay? It's like I've had this happen sometimes. You have that extension cord, and you want to plug it in, maybe even to an, like an outdoor outlet, and it's an old outlet, so it's only got two slots. And you have three prongs on your cord. No matter what you do, you're not plugging that in. But, oh, that adapter that I could never find. I got at least five in my house. That beautiful adapter slides over the electrical cord, turns into a two-prong, boom, you can connect to the power. That middle adapter is the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator, the one that connects the two. Without it, it's impossible. Now, this is interesting. I'll read you what Spurgeon wrote, okay? Because a mediator is someone who goes in between two parties, okay? Well, here's what Spurgeon said, which I thought was very, very interesting, the mediator studies the interests of both parties, such as our Lord Jesus Christ coming here on earth. Did he come to save men? Yes. Did he come to glorify his father's name? Yes. For which of these two purposes did he chiefly come? I will not say he came for both. He blends the two. He looks after the interests of man and pleased the causes of his soul. He looks after the interest of God and vindicates the honor of God even unto death. Is he obedient that he might magnify the law of God and make it honorable? Yes, but he is a mediator that he may deliver us from the curse of the law. Beloved, our blessed mediator is not a mediator for just one. Well, that was really interesting. I'm, I'm constantly kind of thinking like, hey, God, you're, Jesus Christ, you're kind of like on my side. You're going to take my stuff and then you're going to give it to the Father. He is absolutely interested in both parties. Both parties, what God thinks and what us think. And that is just such a great, beautiful death. When we pray, again, we're going before the Lord. How can God the Father sit there and take our prayers? And, and, and there's this holiness peace, and yet the mediator is the one that clears all that up. And God can look at his son and go, oh, all that is paid for. Yep, what do they want to talk about? And we as a sinful people kind of go, oh, Lord, I need this. Okay, but, you know, and the Lord Jesus is the mediator between us. And there is something about the fact in this whole portion that he is fully God. And that's also why it says the man, Christ Jesus. He is representing humanity and he is representing the Godhead, bringing God the Father and us all together when we pray. There, there is such a depth to what's going on that we should just be excited to pray simply for what's happening. 
that we get to sit there and pray to God the Father and the man Christ Jesus, who's also fully God, can bring those two parties together, actually care about what both parties want, and work something out. It's an amazing gospel that we share. Amazing gospel. So when we're praying for all men, remember that our man, a human, Jesus Christ, is sitting there with us. I know exactly what it's like to walk on that earth. When you pray about people that bother you and all that stuff, Jesus Christ says, you're a miracle. I know exactly what you're talking about. Not that he was, quote, bothered, but that he walked among us. He heard and he saw, he did all of it. It's not like he can't relate. And yet, when he talks to God the Father, before time, he was in eternity past, and he created the world in existence, and he knew all this stuff was coming, and he can be fully God in that, and somehow bring these two together when we open our mouths to pray. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. We should not take it for granted. Finally, what is our attitude when praying? In verse 8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Prayer is one of those interesting things that as soon as you start to do it, there's going to be an accountability between you and God. And I think sometimes that's why we run away from it. Lift up holy hands. I've been taught, you know, like again, like the priest that, I think it was just kind of normal in Jewish custom, but they would go something like this, and the, the sleeves would come down, and they kind of lift up to show that they're clean, that they're, they're clean, the hands themselves. You know, it's interesting, before I had to preach on it, though, I never really cared about the without wrath and doubting. I was just kind of like, okay, next verse. Okay, that would be without anger or disputing. Let's turn real quickly again to the book of Jonah. In chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this. So we prayed to the Lord, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse 4, Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. I'll stop us right there. It would seem like Jonah talked to the Lord, and it seemed like he was pretty angry. You know, it's interesting. God responds. Do you have a right to be angry? And again, it's glorified imagination, but it doesn't seem like Jonah finishes the prayer. He just kind of takes off. Interesting. God just, I'm assuming, gently Says Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And that's it. Jonah's out of the prayer. I'm not going to keep talking about this. Interesting. We know how the story goes. Up comes this plant that Jonah loves. <laughs> and then in verse 8, uh, God basically takes care of it. 
And it says at the bottom of verse 8, Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. This time he responds, It is right for me to be angry. And I would tell you that again, I don't know how some of that works. I don't think we should ever really talk angrily to the Lord. But what I do know from this context where it says, I desire... Therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and without um, doubting or it's called disputing, is that there are times where we go to pray. And there's three things that stop us. Either we're not holy, we have unconfessed sin. So even sometimes you pray, but you pray amiss because there's unconfessed sin. There's something that you keep sinning on that you're refusing to be repentant about. Or you're angry with a certain situation in your life. You are mad. You might not even be mad at God, but you are just mad at the situation. And it stops you from hearing what God would have to say about the situation. And then there's disputing, where you're going into the prayer like a bargaining chip. Like, God, I'll do this if you do this. And let's dispute this. Let's work this one out instead of actually hearing what he has to say about the situation. And so I don't know about you, but those three things are very common to do either to pray to the Lord or to stop praying because you don't feel like dealing with your sin. Or things just really upset you and you kind of get angry and you're talking and you're pouring out your heart to the Lord. But I don't know why the Lord seems to constantly do this to me. Maybe it's the same with you as you're angry before the Lord and you're kind of going, Lord, why is this happening or why is this situation in my life? He gently starts to talk to you and you have one of two choices. Either your attitude is going to change and you will start to let go of the anger and you will start to love the Lord more and see it in a different perspective or you go, I'm, a, I'm done talking because I want to hold on to my anger. I want to be angry at this and I don't want you to change my mind. Just like Jonah was saying, hey, I knew you were like this. That's why I ran away. I know, I know exactly what you're going to say. You love these people. You want to be great. I don't want to be like that. That's why I don't want to talk to you about it. That's the pity party that Jonah did. And we do the exact same thing. Or again, we dispute. You know, Lord, so-and-so is sitting. Let me intercede on their behalf so you fix them. And you're coming with a bargaining chip of what you think God needs to do so that your perception of things can be done correctly. It's very interesting. Prayer for the assembly and as a church, when we pray together corporately, and hopefully we are praying so much more in our individual lives. Be cautious of this. I will close with this because I think it's the best thing I was ever kind of told about prayer. And the story happened this week um, with my wife, actually. She was walking with our neighbor. We had um, poor Mrs. Como, our 98-year-old lady in the neighborhood. She passed away this week. And um, my wife was walking with one of the neighbors. And she said something like, do you? Do you really think that like God knew exactly when she was going to die? And Kim was like, yeah. She goes, okay, well, then why would we pray anyway? Because there's also another kid in our neighborhood. Uh, he has brain cancer. I think he's four years old. It doesn't look good. And she said something like, why should we pray for that if we know God's going to do whatever he's going to do anyway all right and i thought it was very good that kim said um well one because i know him personally so i would talk to him like i'm talking to you about the situation now and two prayer changes the way i see things not changes god's mind 
Okay? When we start praying correctly, I want to remind us that prayer is for God to change our mind. Not we're changing God's mind. <laughs> and you know what? The truth is sometimes we don't want our minds changed. And that's why we don't pray. <laughs> and if you started to pray enough, you realize God changes the way you think. And sometimes we just don't like that. Okay, there's a lot here for prayer. And we should be a praying people. But I will encourage us, get ready if you're going to start praying more, that God is actually going to change your mind. And you might not like that, but it's okay. You can keep praying. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for, um, Lord, even um, the story of Jonah is so interesting. Your prophet, one who maybe should have known better, uh, kind of arguing with you about your loving grace. And yet... Uh, we can be so much like that. Lord, help us to pray for all men, for all kings and authority. Uh, Lord, we do lift up um, the leadership here in this country, our governor, um, all the town councilmen, all these things, Lord. There's so much uh, decisions being made. We pray that they would have biblical wisdom. We pray that they would be saved if they're not saved. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, turn the hearts as you say in Proverbs of the Kings, Lord, whatever you want to happen, we would lift these people up to you. We pray for ourselves, Lord, here in this assembly, that we would pray more, that we would um, talk about our needs um, spiritually more, that we'd be more open to do that, Lord. And that, Lord, you would help us with our attitude when we pray. Some of us just don't want to pray because it seems boring or um, we don't know how to do it. It seems awkward. Uh, Lord, could you just help that whole situation that you would gently remind us to pray, to talk to you throughout the day. And uh, maybe some of us need prayer walks. Maybe some of us need a list of what to pray for. All those things, Lord. But that you would um, just uh, orchestrate this in the assembly, that we might be known uh, for people that uh, prayer is uh, really important here at Brantford Bible Chapel. In your name, amen.